The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's religion podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. This week marks the beginning of Pope Francis's controversial Synod on Synodality in Rome, an advisory meeting of bishops and hand-picked, overwhelmingly liberal lay people who will discuss ultra-sensitive topics such as women's ordination and blessings for same-sex couples, among other things. And it's off to a very rocky start, to put it mildly. I mean, seriously, such a mess. I hardly know where to start. On Monday, five leading conservative cardinals published what's called a dubia, an official request that they sent to the Pope in the summer, asking him to clear up a few things, asking him whether women, priests and gay blessings were theological possibilities, amid other rather technical questions about the limits of papal authority and the limits of the authority of synods. Anyway, to cut a long story short, with this document they bounced Pope Francis into signing a letter, probably written by his new very liberal doctrinal chief, Cardinal Fernandez, fellow Argentinian, suggesting, I mean, really in the most circuitous and evasive fashion, that gay couples could be blessed, but that the Pope wasn't changing the theology and it was up to individual priests, not bishops, but priests. The cardinals included Cardinal Burke, former head of the Vatican's leading court, Cardinal Serra, formerly the church's head of liturgy, and Cardinal Zen, real hero, retired leader of the church in Hong Kong, wrote back saying, sorry, Holy Father, could you just explain what you're trying to say? Are gay blessings permitted or not? A one-word answer will do. No reply to this one from a reportedly furious Francis, who, and this doesn't get pointed out very often, but I keep saying it, He's not a big fan of the gay lobby. I mean, he's an 86-year-old straight Peronist. Not naturally very liberal on this subject. But he does periodically encourage the LGBT lobby because, according to his way of thinking, or at least my interpretation of his way of thinking, my enemy's enemy is my friend. And they both detest American conservatives. I mean, in Francis' case, detest them with a passion that verges on insanity, I think. Well, the last thing Francis wanted, I think, was what he got. Excited headlines in the media saying the Catholic Church has softened its line on gay blessings, which, to be honest, is the only way to read the Francis Fernandez defensive waffle issued in response to the first dubia. But really, what a mess it is particularly this leading up to the priests thing. It's forced several priests to go onto social media saying, look, this puts an intolerable burden on us. You've left it up to us, not the bishop. And so now we come to another point, 
And I think it's one that desperately needs to receive wider publicity. And it's this. The Synod is opening under a huge shadow, unconnected to the gay blessings question, that the Vatican and its allies in the Catholic media are pretending isn't there or want to go away. And it's the shadow of sex abuse, and specifically the grotesque abuse of women allegedly committed by Father Marco Rupnik, a world-famous mosaic artist. I mean, I think they're utterly horrible mosaics. They're plastered all over the most important shrines in, in the Catholic world, and untold sums have been spent on them. Anyway, Rupnik was expelled from the Jesuit order this year after Jesuit investigators found credible what they called gruesome allegations by up to 20 women who had been consecrated sisters, effectively nuns, in an order founded by Rupnik in his native Slovenia back in the 1980s. The allegations, wow, they are of a really pornographic nature. We're talking about obscene sexual practices that it is claimed by some of these women ex-members, Father Rupnik sought to justify in terms of his Eucharistic theology. In other words, a really, really poisonous mixture of sex and theology and rape, if these women are to be believed. Now, the Rupnik affair is very complicated procedurally, but here's what I think we all need to know. And the lay and Episcopal Synod members really can't claim ignorance of these facts, not if they've done their homework. Because this week, there was a dramatic statement by Christina Unigez-Sanz, a theologian who had actually been involved in organising the Synod. She alleged, and she's not the first person to do so, that Rupnik, who remains a priest despite being kicked out of the Jesuits, is being protected by the Diocese of Rome, where... As she put it, he can do whatever he wants. And in this article, she refers to a cardinal, one who reports directly to Pope Francis. She doesn't name him, but it's not difficult to work out who she's talking about. Who was allegedly, as she put it, pampering Rupnik as his favourite. And this comes after reports by the highly respected Catholic news website, The Pillar, to the effect that Rupnik continues, as we speak, to enjoy high-level support in the Vatican. Now, you'll have noticed so far I've been careful to use the word alleged, allegedly, all over the place, relating to accusations of really sadistic abuse, because they haven't been properly investigated by the Vatican, though they were investigated by the Jesuits. Why? Incredibly, and I know to the fury of many Jesuits, Pope Francis has refused to lift the statute of limitations that would enable a full canonical trial of Rupnik, because a lot of this stuff went on in the 1980s and the 1990s, and so there is a statute of limitations that applies, but the Pope has frequently lifted it in the past, and he could do in this case, and he hasn't. But I don't have to use the word allegedly when I point out that in 2021, Marco Rupnik was excommunicated, formally excommunicated, from the church for the very grave canonical crime of absolving a female sexual partner in the confessional of the sin of having sexual relations with him. Now, this is a matter of record. The 
he was found guilty of it. It's one of the most serious sins that a priest can commit. Obviously, it's happened down the centuries, and it's always a matter of terribly grave scandal. What's also a matter of record is that, as the Associated Press reported, and you may find this hard to believe, but it's true, within a month of the excommunication taking effect, it was bizarrely lifted, because Father Rupnik had repented of his sin. And incidentally, again, incredible, during the period while his excommunication was being processed, that's between the moment at which he was found guilty and the moment at which it took effect, Rupnik conducted a retreat in the Pope's own apostolic palace. Now, no one, no one in Rome seriously doubts that this appalling priest is, in some degree, being protected by the Pope. Christopher Altieri of the Catholic World Reports wrote months ago that the Pope was obviously watching Rupnik's back, Lots of other people have said it, and a Jesuit contact of mine also insists that this is the case. Why Francis is doing this? Taking an insane risk, when you think about it. That, that's very hard to explain. Even harder to explain, indeed, than an outrage that I've repeatedly drawn attention to on this podcast. You're probably sick of hearing about it, but the Pope's decision to create a senior position assessing Vatican finances for one Bishop Gustavo Zanchetta, who was forced to leave his diocese in Argentina, where he'd been appointed by Francis, one of his first acts as Pope, following claims of financial misconduct and, more seriously, claims that he abused male seminarians, crimes for which Zanchetta has since been found guilty and sentenced to jail in Argentina. And there are several other cases in which Francis appears to have extended his personal protection to priests accused of abuse or bishops accused of shameless cover-ups. Again, I've discussed them in some detail in previous episodes of Holy Smoke. But the Rupnik scandal, I think, everybody thinks, is in a class of its own because, well, the number of alleged female victims the obscenity of the alleged assaults. You're just going to have to Google them to find out what's supposed to have gone on, but you're going to have to have a strong stomach, let me warn you. And the multiple opportunities the Pope has apparently passed up to bring this extremely well-connected, extremely financially powerful cleric to justice. So, this week, the bishops and lay people, hand-picked ever so carefully for the Synod, took up their positions in the Vatican to start their discussions, knowing without any doubt that Marco Rubnik is at the centre of a horrific sex scandal. But do they know just how explosive its implications are? Possibly not, because in reporting the Rubnik affair, which they had to, at least up to a point, not in much detail, mostly, the liberal English-language Catholic publications that many of the Synod members read have done their best, I think, to obscure what appears to be the Francis Rupnik connection. Well, I say it appears to be. We know perfectly well that they were very, very good friends. For example, when a couple of weeks ago Pope Francis talked to carefully vetted journalists on the papal plane on his flight back from Marseille, not one of those journalists raised the subject of Rupnik. And this was too much, even actually for Robert Mickens, 
the very liberal and normally very pro-Francis editor of La Croix magazine, who went on X, Twitter, and asked incredulously why they had failed to ask the Pope. His quote, the, in capital letters, the most important question of his pontificate. So my argument is that once you fully grasp the significance of the Rutnik scandal, the gravity of the unanswered questions, then you're looking at a story that may turn out to be even more historically significant than the Pope's implied and deeply confusing, badly thought-out gesture in support of gay blessings. Something, incidentally, that's already happening all over the place, especially in Germany. I find it massively frustrating and really quite demoralising to see what appears to be Renaissance-style corruption, and that's, that's the phrase that Christina Sands uses, being concealed by the Vatican with the apparent complicity of the media and raising very, very grave questions about the participation of the Pope or what he knew. But this art has only just started and things are falling apart so quickly. And Cardinal Zen has just warned participants that the Vatican is trying to manipulate them. This is a, this is a man who really does know about the manipulation of proceedings, having had to deal with Beijing for over 50 years. So who knows what will happen? I hope I'm going to go out to Rome towards the end of the Synod. So let's see if by then some very unpalatable facts have finally been made public. Meanwhile, expect lots of hot air from liberal Catholics sounding off about how the Holy Spirit, which they tend to identify with themselves, is moving them in their preferred directions. But don't get too carried away, just because the Guardian thinks it's hugely significant and exciting. This synod, which is being spaced out over two years, has zero, zero authority to change anything. All decisions relating to women's ordination, gay blessings, whatever, rest like the fate of Father Rupnik, still a priest as we speak, entirely in the hands of Pope Francis.